Gathering with Roger B. occurs monthly in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Attendees are 12-steppers, those who have been affected by another's addiction, and some who are simply interested in improving their personal level of life satisfaction using a variety of spiritually-based tools. It is also used as a tool for study groups nationwide. The gathering's talks are generally tied to one or more of the 12 steps, but are always guided by spiritual concepts, principles, and ideas common to most faiths. Topics are drawn from a variety of sources, the 12 steps, many of the well-known wisdom texts, science, and other teachers that speak to a spiritual solution to life solutions. Roger has been in recovery for over 40 years and has spent thousands of hours in service sharing his experience, strength, and hope. He has created curriculum for treatment centers and leads workshops and retreats throughout the United States, Canada, and Europe. Roger is a certified spiritual director and offers insight into spiritually-based living skills that are relevant to all people, whether in recovery or not. This episode is sponsored by Gopher State Tape Library, a 5013C corporation. Established in 1974, the library has been archiving recovery talks of the many 12-step recovery fellowships across the globe. For almost 50 years, these have been distributed worldwide. The library is the only all-volunteer organization doing this work in existence. There are no paid employees. Thousands of downloads, MP3s, and CDs can be obtained at www.gstl.ecwid.com. I'm going to do something different tonight that I've never done with you. But I was doing this with a sponsee today, and it's it's one of those things that's been coming up. And so, um, and and it was so powerful. I just shot it, thought I'd share it and tie it in with some of our recovery stuff, so it makes some, um, so we understand that the genesis for these ideas is the same. Different voices, different people. There's a, some of you know Anthony DeMello. Um, he's a, was a Catholic priest, a Jesuit, and uh, he wrote a book. It's a little book. It's a little book. It's a kick your butt, though. It's called The Way to Love. And I thought, what a great topic, love, because we have so much confusion um, as individuals around that idea. What is love? Um, Love was want and need for me. Um, so I'll just, so there's, he said there's four basic elements. Love is indiscriminating. It's gratuitous. It has gratuitousness. It's unselfconscious. And the fourth element is freedom. So I'm going to, this is only like a couple of little pages. I'm going to read and discuss with you, okay? Now he's a priest. So we're going to, there's going to be some biblical references. And don't let those throw you off. Listen, listen to what the, the meaning is, right? He starts with a, a verse. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. This is God's, Jesus telling us this is the commandment of the Father, okay? But how does God love me? How does God love me? Growing up as a boy, I didn't think of God as loving. I thought God is punishing. God is scary. God is capricious, God as um, a taskmaster and, and somewhat of a trickster. So 
What is love? So here we go. Nice metaphor. Take a look at a rose. Is it possible for the rose to say, I shall offer my fragrance to good people and withhold it from bad people? Or imagine a lamp that withholds its rays from a wicked person who seeks to walk in its light. It could only do that by ceasing to be a lamp. And observe how helplessly and indiscriminately a tree gives its shade to everyone, good, bad, young, old, high, low, to animals, to humans, every living creature, even to the one who seeks to cut it down. So this is the first quality of love. It's indiscriminate character. So he's describing what colloquially we call unconditional love. And what we're going to go into is a concept called non-dualism. So here we go. This is why we're exhorted to be like God, who makes his sun to shine on the good and the bad alike and makes his rain to fall on the saints and the sinners alike. So you must all be goodness as your heavenly father is all goodness. Contemplate in astonishment the sheer goodness of the rose, the lamp, the tree. For there you have an image of what love is all about. It's giving. It's giving without expectation of receiving. Well, AA has a thing. We do this for fun and for free. There's another line in the book. Be of maximum service to God and your fellows. It doesn't say anything about being of service to me. I will be served by serving you and the creator, whatever that is to you. I'm using God because it's a short word, but I understand it's also highly charged for some people. How does one attain this quality of love? Anything you do will only make it forced, cultivated, and therefore phony. For love can't be forced. There's nothing you can do, but there is something you can drop. Observe the marvelous change that comes over you the moment you stop seeing people as good and bad, as saints and sinners, and begin to see them as unaware and ignorant. You must drop your false belief that people can sin in awareness. No one can sin in the light of awareness. Sin occurs not, as we mistakenly think, in malice, but in ignorance. So, Remember the word, the root of sin is to err, to miss the mark. Sin is to mistake, to make a mistake, okay? I know sin is a religious word, but in the context of this, this is what we're trying to do is pull out, pull out the meaning, right? So what he's saying is I, the way I get to this love thing is I drop my judgmentalism. This is going from dualistic thinking, good, bad, right, wrong, sinner, saint, to non-dualistic thinking, which is everyone's doing the best they can. What do we say? What do we say in uh, in uh, here? When we do the resentment inventory, here's what we do. We realize that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. We changed the way we saw it. We changed our attitude. We changed our approach. We quit being judge, jury, and convictor. Right? And then it acknowledges that we didn't like the symptoms and the way they disturbed us. They, like ourselves, were sick, too. So I asked God, here's the prayer, to show me the same tolerance, pity, and patience that I would cheerfully grant a sick friend when a person offends. I say to myself, remember, this is a sick person. How can I be helpful? God, save me from being angry. I will be done. You see, that's the turnaround. That's it. It's turning around back to love. That is the introduction, the, the part of that that is 
that is relevant is it introduces me to compassion and empathy, which are elements of love. I can't be compassionate, empathetic while I'm judging you. The other thing he's saying is when people hurt us, it's not out of malice. It's out of ignorance, which means they don't know any better. Think about when you were running and gunning. I'll think about when I was running and gunning. I had no conception at all of this other world, this other realm, this other way of thinking. I would discount that with cynicism and sarcasm if I was approached by it. Forget it. That's just a bunch of airy-fairy stuff. That sounds like a weak, a weak example. So these are the things we're trying. So here it is. Here's what, what he's saying in another text. He has this, you, if you were awake, our term, if you were spiritually fit, if you had had this awakening or having this awakening, you'd never hurt anyone consciously. I might hurt you, but it would be inadvertent. It would be accidental. So if people are going around behaving poorly, I've got to remember, they're just ignorant. Ignorance is not stupidity. Ignorance is lack of information. I suffered from ignorance my whole life. I still suffer from it. I'm just acquiring more things to fill up the ignorant holes. So, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. There it is. To see this is to acquire the indiscriminate quality one so admires in the rose, the lamp, and the tree. Because the rose, the lamp, and the tree do their thing regardless of how many people are there or who's watching or if anyone's there. The rose is the rose. And you'll, the rose will give its scent all the time because that's what it is. That's how it bees, right? The second quality of love is gratuitousness. This is interesting, I think. Like the tree, the rose, the lamp, it gives and ask for nothing in return. What's our version of that? For fun and for free. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing the work I do. You're not doing the work you do for self-aggrandizement to be a big deal for accolades. You're doing it because it was done for you and it's the right thing to do. It's the loving thing to do. So how we despise the man whose choice of his wife is determined by not by the quality she may have, but by the amount of money she'll bring as the dowry. Man's world. Materialism. Mm -hmm. Such a man, we rightly say, loves not the woman, but the fin financial benefit she brings him. But is your own love any different? This is when it's going to get ugly. <laughs> when you seek the company of those who bring you emotional gratification and avoid those who don't, when you positively despise disposed towards people who give you what you want and live up to your expectations and are negative or indifferent toward those who you don't. Here too, there is only one thing that you need to do to acquire this quality of gratuitousness that characterizes love. You can open your eyes and see, just seeing, just exposing your so-called love for what it really is. This is going to get ugly. A camouflage for selfishness and greed. <laughs> really where do we have for that we got an example of that here we they said it a little nicer to us here selfishness self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles it's on page 62 driven by a hundred forms of fear self-delusion ignorance self-seeking self-pity i mean mine selfishness self-centeredness we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation. 
But we invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles, we think, are basically we're only making. They arise out of ourselves and the alcoholic. Helena, the powerless one, is an extreme example of self-will run riot. Though I usually don't think so, because I'm ignorant and I'm deluded and I cannot see the truth. Hmm. Okay. It's hanging together. A little bit. It's heavy stuff because what it's saying is, Roger, look at what you call love and look for all the conditions you place on it. And some of them we don't know. Some we don't know until something happens. And then, you know, you, this is this is the uh, the riff societally. You find your soulmate. They complete you. You complete them. If that's true, I have given you a big job to make me whole. And you're not going to be able to pull it off because you're flawed and I'm flawed. And when my expectation is met, no longer are you my soulmate, you're getting replaced. Or I'm very dissatisfied. Now we're into coercion. I'm very dissatisfied with your behavior. Why? Because you're not feeding me. Okay. So the third quality of love is its unselfconsciousness. Love so enjoys the loving that is blissfully unaware of itself. This is when you're doing it for fun and for free. This is when you accidentally do that wonderful, sweet, kind, tender, little insignificant thing for some stranger. Hold a door, help him out the bag, you know, let him go ahead of you in line. Pray for him when they're counting their 3,000 coupons at the checkout, right? That kind of thing. The way the lamp is busy shining with no thought of whether it's benefiting others or not, because it's just what it does. The way the rose gives its fragrance, simply because there's nothing else it can do, whether there's someone to enjoy the fragrance or not. The way the tree offers its shade, the light, the fragrance, the shade are not produced at, at the approach of persons and turned off when there's no one there. These things, like love, exist independently of persons. I come from love. I try and be love for love's sake, good for goodness sake. It's the same thing. Do I exceed at that? Do I excel at that? No, but that's the goal. If that's the goal and I keep striving towards it, I'm going to get better and better. If just being okay is the goal, I can get that, but I'm not going to have the peace and the freedom and the, and the, the joy that comes with this kind of living. It's a challenge because it's asking me to look at, even when you do nice stuff for people, is there a hook in there? I didn't think there was until I moved. And then I realized all those guys I helped move, no one ever called me to say, do you need some help? And then I realized I didn't help them to help them. I helped them because I wanted something in return. It's very subtle and nuanced in some ways. In other ways, it's more quid pro quo. I'll do this for you if you do this for me. That's not love. That's not a relationship. That's a transaction. That's a business deal. Okay. <sighs> These things, like love, exist independently of persons. Love simply is, it has no object. Love is an energy, unconditional love, non dualistic love, the love of the creator for its creation. Some of you have children. You know how you love your kids? 
then multiply that by infinity, how the creator loves us. So there's no, there's no element of punishment in this. But I got to get in this groove. And the only way I can get in this groove is by tuning my thinking to these other ideas. Well, we do that with the steps, don't we? We talk about patience, tolerance, love, service, unity. We let each other talk in meetings without interrupting each other. We don't run people over in the parking lot. You know, love and tolerance. <laughs> Can I just love for love's sake? Sometimes. Sometimes. But this thing, this thing is just a beast. You know, I think here's, an, here's another problem. Oh, anyway, back to this idea before I go off on a tangent. They simply are regardless whether someone will benefit from them or not. They have no consciousness of any merit or of doing good. They just are good. Their left hand has no consciousness of what, what the right hand is doing. I just did it because it needed to be done. I don't care if anyone's watching. I don't care if I get a parade, a medallion, or anything. You know, in fact, it feels better when it goes unnoticed until this starts working on me, right? So here's. Never mind. So here's the fourth idea. The final quality of love is freedom. The moment coercion or control or conflict enters, love dies. Interesting. Now think about man's world. It's all about coercion and control, isn't it? And conflict. Me against them. We need a winner. We need a loser. That's the dualistic way our society is set up. And we need a degree of dualism to run the culture. We've all agreed... That means stop. We've already red means stop, green means go, yellow means watch out, right? And the lines in the road, we honor those because we've all agreed on it. Right side of the road, okay, left side of the road, dualism. That's fine. It works fine for some things. It does not work fine at all for a spiritual application because it's the opposite of where we're trying to get to. When you when you did your sex inventory and you came up with an ideal for your future conduct. That wasn't just about the bedroom. That was about your relationship to humanity, right? And I'm trying to live up to those ideals. And because they're ideals, they're unattainable. But it's the striving that is the gift. So freedom. Where am I coerced? Where is there conflict? Well, measurement. He's number one. I'm number three. He must be better. She makes more money than me. She must be better. She's got a newer car than me. She must be better than me. Compare and contrast. Compare and contrast. Where is that happening? It's happening in your brain. Your brain is not you. Your brain is a filter. And it's filtering the data points from the five senses, sight, smell, taste, hearing, touch. And it's not a real good interpreter. How many times have your senses told you something? That wasn't right many, many, many times. And then what happens is the sensory data comes in and the frontal cortex starts sorting it to see if it's similar to anything that's happened before. And we think that's us thinking. It's the brain doing its job. It's filtering. It's assessing threat levels, joy levels. It's just assessing what's going on and it's giving us a narrative, a story. 
but it's not necessarily true. Why are you looking at me that way? What do you mean looking at you that way? Why are you looking at me like that? You know what I mean. Don't use that tone with me. What tone? I'm not using a tone. Yes, you are. Don't use that tone with me. And we start arguing realities. It's nonsense. That's the coercion. That's the conflict. And the level that we conflict on is the level of the personality. It's not the level of the spirit. Because everything you read in every wisdom text says, we have one point of origin, one creator, our father. That tells you the relationship to seven fox. That tells you the relationship with the creator. Whether you think of it as a father or not, it's the source that you come from. Everybody has the same source, the brotherhood of man. That means we're all relatives. We're all related. Sons and daughters, heirs to the throne. What throne? Peace, joy, love, freedom. And the price is the sacrifice of the self or self-centeredness, the false self. And it's a lifetime process. But it's possible because what we do is we go, I haven't, I haven't done this for five years. I haven't done this for 39 years. I haven't done this for 12 years. I haven't done this for 11 years. And I've, I create a history where I can look at my past and say, uh-huh, I'm seeing progress here. I'm seeing a zigzag too, but I'm seeing progress. Overall, it's just like when you did the assessment when you came in. Since you started drinking to the time you stopped, has it gotten better or worse? Always worse. From the time you started recovery to now, has it gotten better or worse? It's the same equation. I'm not saying perfect, but I'm telling you, there's nobody looking for me. There's no states that I have warrants in. My taxes are current. <coughs> I have a lovely wife who tolerates me. I'm good for her program. Tolerance patient. <laughs> <laughs> so, you get the idea. Think, now let's go back. Think about the rose, the tree, the lamp. They're completely free and they leave you completely free. They don't say, hey, did you like the smell of that rose? Did you like my smell? Did you like my scent? The tree doesn't say, hey, hey, don't go away without saying thank you for the shade. It just says, fine. It's my gift to you. And I, I can acknowledge it or notice it or not. Huh. The tree won't make any effort to drag you into its shade if you're in danger of sunstroke. The lamp will not force its light on you lest you stumble in the dark. Think for a while of all the coercion and control that you submit to on the part of others when you so anxiously live up to their expectations. Why? In order to buy their love. There's the transaction. I'll do this for you. You do this for me. We'll call it a relationship. Oh, and when you stop doing it for me, we got a problem. Hmm. Your job is not to live up to my expectations. Mine is not to live up to yours. My job, if you want to call it a job, the directive is to be the best I can be with everyone I come in contact with every day. Do I do that successfully? A lot more than useful. So there's, a, there's a thing I do when I'm getting upset. I just ask myself, you remember the pause in the 11th step? Pause and ask for an intuitive thought or direction. I put the pause in and I just asked myself real quickly, is what you're thinking about to say or do loving and kind? It's not loving and kind, it's probably part of the problem. 
and then it stops me when I can remember to do the pause. When I don't remember to do the pause, then I get to practice apologies and amends because I want to own it. As soon as I see it, I want to own it because I don't want to drag it into tomorrow. I don't even want to drag it into tonight. Coercion and control that you submit to on the part of others to win their love, their appreciation, their affection by their love and approval or because you fear you will lose them. Two basic fears. I'm not going to get what I want. I'm going to lose something I have. Mm. Too simple to be accurate, right? Each time you submit to this control, this coercion, you destroy the capacity to love, which is your very nature, which means deep inside. You know, when we say in AA, deep down in every man, woman, child is a fundamental idea of God. God equals life equals freedom equals love. Whatever synonym you want. So our nature, our intrinsic nature is God, is divine. And what we have to do is find a way to take that and express it out in a world that doesn't honor it. Not for the sake of having it honored, but for the sake of practicing that which elevates me. Hmm. So contemplate then all the control and coercion in your life. And hopefully this contemplation alone will cause them to drop. This idea of dropping is about seeing the world differently. It's just about getting a different attitude, different approach. The moment they drop, freedom will arise. And freedom is just another word for love. There you go. So I tried to tie that in with some of the recovery ideas too, but it's as you study this stuff from different sources, it's all saying the same thing, but different words. And so for me, I'm 43 years sober. I couldn't have understood what that was saying until I was about 10, 15 years sober. Because I just didn't have the consciousness to embrace the ideas. I was still too sick. I was still too self-absorbed. And there are days when I'm very still self-absorbed. But I thought that was a... An interesting reflection, you know, when I say I love you, the closest I can come to unconditional love is my kid, and I have conditions on that. I told you not to do that. Now there's going to have to be consequences, <laughs> right? There's conditions. It doesn't mean I stop loving you, but there are times that I don't like you too much. <laughs> New episodes of The Gathering are published twice a month and can be found on Spotify and other major podcast apps. You can follow The Gathering on Spotify and others to receive monthly notifications of new episodes.